Hello and welcome to The Five Things. It's This Week in Social. Each week, we uncover five need-to-know stories from the apps you use daily to provide must-know insights, ideas, and understandings so that you can know all you need to know about what we know. First thing to know is that today, we have Tommy Boyce and Jordan Patrick on the show. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Joey. What's something that you learned this week that you wish you didn't know? Oh, God, this HBO Max discovery deal where they might cancel literally every streaming show that I love. If the Sex Lives of College Girls and the other two get canceled, I'm walking to the East River. It's going to be over for me. <laughs> well, I hope that doesn't happen for our sake. And Jordan is here. Hello, Jordan. How's it going, Joey? What's the funniest thing you learned this week? Maybe not the funniest thing I've learned, but one of the funniest things I saw. So, of course, Beyonce draft last Friday and the Internet hasn't stopped talking about it ever since. And it seems like every day is like the Internet's pick for their favorite song. But Alien Superstar has been really popular. And one of the somebody did like an edit with Sailor Moon and it was like perfect. And I thought it was very, very funny. The Sailor Moon edit is gas. It's so good. Okay, you got to send it to me. You got to send it to me. I'm Joey Scarillo, and I am by no means a know-it-all. So let's get into the five things. All right, first up, Tommy's going to follow up on Instagram, walking back their platform changes. Then Jordan dives into Facebook, reporting a drop in revenue for the first time. Tommy digs into Snapchat, who announced the Snapchat Sounds Creator Fund. Then Jordan tackles TikTok, who reportedly are set to develop the TikTok music app. And finally, Tommy tells us how YouTube is making it easier for creators to turn longer content into shorts. All right, team, let's get into it. Tommy, tell us about Instagram. So in the wake of the massive amount of blowback that we discussed last week, Instagram will walk back some of the recent changes to the platform following a week of mounting criticism, the company said the other day. A test version of the app that opened to full screen photos and videos will be phased out over the next one to two weeks. And Instagram will also reduce the number of recommended posts in the app as it works to improve its algorithms. In an interview, Instagram chief Adam Masseri spoke about the whole situation saying, I'm glad we took a risk. If we're not feeling every once in a while, We're not thinking big enough or bold enough. And sure, that's one way that you can look at this. But he also said, we definitely need to take a big step back and regroup. Masiri once again also defended the app's update, saying that it came from internal data, highlighting trend towards users watching more videos. But, you know, I'm not sure that that internal data is going to stand the force of a Kylie Jenner Instagram story. That's a little bit mean. I love when a social platform has to walk back a change like this. It feels like mob mentality pulls through. But unfortunately for Instagram users, this change will not be permanent and that this competition from TikTok will continue to see the app on its ever-long march towards video. So again, we're this frustrating position of waiting to see how Instagram will operate in a year or even in a few months due to these constant updates. And the challenge that Instagram is figuring out right now is how to integrate these videos and this way of viewing that it wants to use in order to compete with TikTok and this boom of short form content in an increasingly crowded app where friends, families, celebrities, creators, various e-commerce stores and projects are all fighting for our attention on a daily basis. It's a really tall order for the app that, you know, historically is focused on just simplicity and photo sharing. And I'm not sure that they have the best tools on hand to figure it out, given how they're doing it currently. But hey, I've been wrong before. I'd love to see Instagram pull through. I really have a soft spot for it, given that, you know, a lot of us grew up on Instagram. There's a lot of sons out there. And I think at this point, 
We need to obviously want to monitor the situation. We're going to keep seeing these updates happen over and over. But I do think that people in the industry and marketers and brands who use the app can rest safely knowing that the app will continue to focus on video and that despite this walking back of its video sharing and its algorithms, it will eventually keep continuing down this road. So I'm interested to see where Instagram will be and even six months from now, much less a year. But I, I do think that video is here to stay for better or for worse and for the good of the app as a whole. Really makes me wonder, like, when does Adam Masseri sleep? <laughs> you know, he just must be up at night all the time thinking about these things. Makes me wonder, Jordan, what do you think about Instagram walking this back? Do you think this was the right move? It does go to show that if enough people speak up about something, like there can be certain changes that happen. But to Tommy's point, I feel like this is more one of those things of just delaying the inevitable. Like they're really trying to pivot towards video. And even if it's like things that Instagram might not necessarily want to do, like their parent, like Facebook and then Meta, of course, they're very one track minded. This is what they're going to do, even though it's on pause right now, which I think is a good thing. I think overall it's coming soon or later. Speaking of it being a video app and less of a photo app, sort of tangentially, but I'm just curious if you two notice Instagram's feature in their camera that is remarkably like B-Real with the dual facing camera. Have you seen this? I have not seen this. I don't know. I'm going to pull up Instagram right now, which is unprofessional, but what what feature is this? No, do it. So it's in the camera app. And if you, if you go into it, you will find a camera that is front and back facing. And it is remarkable remarkably like be real that is so funny this is real time this is real time reacting right now yeah oh my gosh i we knew the same would come that's so funny yeah. crazy it is called dual dual and it, it allows you to have a front and back. Yeah, everything now is just trying to be everything else, as we've talked about before in the past. So. Everything everywhere all at once. I'm so glad I got to discover this with you on the podcast. This makes for great radio. All right, let's, let's migrate over to thing number two. Facebook reports a drop in revenue for the first time. Jordan, tell us about it. Yeah, for sure. So um, Facebook reported its first ever yearly decline in revenue for the second quarter announcing a 1% drop to $28.8 billion and predicted that growth in the third quarter could fall even more. The overall profit for its parent company, Meta, fell 36% to $6.7 billion. And then the Reality Lab division responsible for building the metaverse lost $2.8 billion in the quarter. So a lot of, a lot of billions lost from Meta and Facebook. A lot of this is due to Apple's recent like Ask App Not to Track prompt that basically has made it harder for Facebook's advertising, Facebook ads to basically draw revenue since they can't advertise directly to people's phones. The interesting thing about that though, is that even though Meta's overall revenue is declining, it managed to grow Facebook's daily users by 3% to over 1.97 billion. So almost 2 billion people are using Facebook regularly. And a lot of that is attributed to this addition of the video features. So like tying back to what we were talking about as Facebook and like Meta try to compete with TikTok, although people don't really want these features, I think in Facebook's mind and Meta and like even with their other platforms, they just have this mentality that because so many people use the platform already, that if they just kind of force it on you, it's like, well, that's just people just adopt it regularly. It's like when they added like the story feature on Instagram, everyone was like, oh, this makes no sense. Snapchat already exists. We would never use it. And then after a while, everyone was just like, ah, oh, well, it's all in one place. So I guess in their mind, like they're just going to keep pushing it and those type of things until it starts to make revenue. And that's what they're hoping they're 
betting on reels, getting to the point where it makes money for them. So they're investing like lots of money into like trying to get a good algorithm. And Mark Zuckerberg even doubled down and basically said that in the next coming years to expect the platform to have lots of video content and to see things on your feed that are not from people you follow. And oddly enough, he also said this is a period that demands more intensity and I expect us to get more done with fewer resources, which I think is such a wild statement because he's basically just like, yeah, like I want y'all to do more with less than you've ever had before, despite everything else that's going on, which is not the great just way to boost morale, I feel like. But, you know, it's just it's just interesting. And it kind of just shows that he's going to kind of do whatever he wants to do, regardless of a lot of other pushback and opinions and such. Yeah, that is that is an astronomical amount of money when you think down to it. So, Tommy, what what message do you think that drop in revenue sends to Meta and Facebook users? I think it's sort of um, it's kind of a gird your loins message and the fact that because of this drop in revenue advertising from a lot of uh, software updates from Apple, especially as you mentioned, like it's what really gutted the company. We're going to start seeing changes to the way that we use the apps again in the algorithms. That's honestly, I think we said this last year, the 2021 is the year of the algorithm. We can just keep it going for this year too, because with this drop in revenue, the way that they have out of this uh, potential loss in capital and in audiences is making sure like TikTok, that they're really putting compelling content that we want to see on the forefront of our feeds and just hitting it over the head and showing it all the time to us. And so because there isn't really another way to gain ad revenue in this way, users are going to have to start expecting to, like Instagram, receive criticism for receiving more and more suggested content in our feed. So I think that's kind of what we can expect. Whenever you start seeing a drop of revenue, you're going to see either new monetization features like Twitter Blue and Snapchat uh, subscription premium things, or you're going to start seeing suggested content from the algorithm or both. Why not? Por que no los dos? <laughs> Why not? Why not? All all right, let's dip into our third thing here. Tommy, tell us about Snapchat announcing Snapchat Sounds Creator Fund. Yeah, so Snapchat has announced the first ever Snapchat Sounds Creator Fund, a new grant program designed to recognize emerging independent artists for the critical role they play. A new grant program designed to recognize emerging independent artists for the critical role they play in driving video creations, inspiring internet trends, and defining cultural moments. Starting in August, Snap will provide monthly grants up to $100,000 to top sound creators that are distributing music on Snapchat via DistroKid and driving the creation of content across the platform. Popular sounds will also have the opportunity to be included in the Sounds product in a Snapchat lens or in Spotlight. Ted Su, the global head of music partnership at Snap, said that we want to support the independent and emerging artists that are driving creation on Snapchat. By providing meaningful funding and creative support, our goal is for artists to feel empowered to continue creating and pursuing a career in music. So it looks like Snapchat is stepping up to one of the many platforms competing with TikTok. I feel like every platform is. We say this all the time. But while Snapchat has made a really specific and great niche in AR, They've introduced and built out their sounds capabilities over the last two years. And with this partnership, it looks like they're trying to combat TikTok and pivot themselves to be a sound-focused app as well. I think it's interesting when people call TikTok a short-form content app. It is, of course, but TikTok to me is much more powerful as a music discovery app. We've seen the effects that it has on the billboard charts, on the songs we hear in our daily lives. It's turned the music industry upside down for better or for worse. I mean, you think of About Damn Time, which is the number one in the country in the past three weeks, which and all, a lot of Lizzo songs actually achieved great success on TikTok. And so 
Snapchat will have a lot of ground to make up in order to be a real player in this space. But in the meantime, there are going to be more sounds for creators and brands to play with that come through this fund, to be more artists making sounds. I think it's going to lead to a lot more creative expression and opportunity for brands to make the most out of this campaign. I love to see independent artists get their due and make money they will afford living as artists. It makes the space that we play in as digital marketers using the sounds more fun and inviting. So I think this is a win for all involved parties. Yeah, Jordan, do you feel like Snapchat moving into music it stays true to the app and will feel natural to users? I think so. I think, <laughs> and this might be a hot take, but I think as long as Snapchat doesn't do anything related to like, we have a feed and here's this place where you can post things and just scroll endlessly, they can do a lot of different things because I think with all these additional features, they're really just enhancing the toolkit that people have to make fun content to share with their friends and like express themselves in like real time. So like the addition of the sounds and like music features and having this creator economy, I think that just really helps to give people more things to play with. And I think it it still does stay true to what they're trying to do as far as being this like communication first, user centered, like here's how you can collaborate with other people. Even the way that they do advertising with like paid lenses and stuff, it's still, it's like, yeah, this might be like a brand that wants to get their product in front of you, but you get to try something on or you get to like use the lens and you can share with your friends. Like it makes it more engaging. It makes it more fun. And it's not, it's definitely not as intrusive as just seeing tons of random stuff in your feed all the time. So I think this stays true to their, to their, to their product offerings and what they're trying to do as a brand. Yeah. More engaging for the users, more engaging for brands. It should be great. Well, as Snapchat goes after TikTok, TikTok cannot be outdone. Jordan, tell us about TikTok, who is developing the TikTok music app. Yeah, for sure. So TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, filed a trademark application with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for TikTok music back in May. And according to the filing, the service would let users purchase, play, share, and download music. It would also allow users to create, share, and recommend playlists, comment on music, as well as live stream audio and video. They already filed for a TikTok music trademark in Australia last November. This is all not the first time, or this is not the first music type of platform that ByteDance has developed. They already have a music streaming platform. In 2020, they launched a music streaming app called Res or Reso in India, Brazil, and Indonesia. And it has the same features described in the TikTok music filing, such as the ability to create playlists and share songs on social media and interact with the app's community. And they even use TikTok to bring users to Reso in those areas. So apparently in like the app in Brazil, there's a button that redirects users to Reso so they can listen to the full version of a song they're interested in, a move that helps users with the ByteDance ecosystem. And right now it's being reported that Reso has over 40 million monthly users across India, Brazil, and Indonesia as of November 2021, and it's expected to grow. So when I first read this, I was like, a music app, like, I don't think that that makes sense for TikTok. But I think TikTok has always kind of started outside of the scope of the United States, because the, the headline of this article was like, are they, is it, could this spell trouble basically for Spotify and Apple Music? And those are, of course, global brands, but I feel like they're very, very popular specifically in the United States. And TikTok was a platform that started internationally anyway. So it makes sense that as they try to do other things, this seems to be a progression that makes sense, especially with, we always talk about how big of an impact music has on the platform and even how TikTok originally started and whatnot. It'll be interesting to see how they get it off the ground here and like what features they'll add that make it 
that would make it competitive for Spotify or Apple Music. But I think it's a long, like it definitely has a long way to go, but it could be an interesting space to watch. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's interesting already in this conversation, we talk about how Instagram and Snapchat are chasing TikTok and now TikTok is chasing the bigger players like Apple and Spotify. Tommy, do you think there's an avenue for brands to get involved with this potential new app? I do. I think obviously we have to wait and see what this user experience is and how we can get involved. I remember a great TikTok I saw where it was basically the marketing intern was talking about how they couldn't use a copyrighted sound. They had to make their own kind of karaoke version of a sound. Really funny. Got like 400k likes. So just a great kind of user case all around. But I think if it's a larger initiative where brands can get on licensed music and have legality set aside so they can really get in on the fun, that's what TikTok is. And so being able to use this vast machinery of sounds available, I think, would be really great for people trying to make compelling content that is shared, again, through audio. TikTok is an audio-based app primarily. So being able to do that with the most popular and best songs available is just, it would be fantastic. So I hope so. Well, it also makes me wonder too, if they're going after Spotify and Apple, if they're considering a podcast component of this. I know I'm always, oh, podcast this, podcast that. But it really does naturally go there when you think about it. If there is a potential for podcasts to find a way onto TikTok, could be interesting. Definitely something we'll keep an eye out for. All right, Tommy, let's take it home and chat about YouTube making it easier for creators to turn long content into shorts. Yeah, so YouTube is trying to make it even easier for creators to turn their longer videos into shorts by adding a new edit into a short tool to its iOS and Android app. It'll let creators select up to 60 seconds from one of their videos and bring the clip into the shorts editor right from the YouTube app. From there, they can add things like text, filters, as well as additional videos shot with the shorts camera or pulled from their photo library. YouTube says the finished short will link to the full video it was clipped from, which can help them make shorts an ideal promotional tool for the creator's longer content. A keen sense for them to dive in while YouTube continues testing monetization options for the feature. If a viewer enjoys a short created with this tool, they wouldn't have to go to the creator's channel and search around for the full video. But important to note, this will only work for videos that users themselves have uploaded. So YouTube has put a lot of focus on shorts since it started rolling out the feature in 2020. It's tried to incentivize creators to use the format by setting up a fund that paid creators that they uploaded shorts. And according to the platform, over 1.5 billion people have watched them last month. So it does seem to be really working. And I will say, I think this is a really great feature. The ability to take content that you've already made and optimized for long form as the vast majority of YouTube creators do and then have it live a second life as a short is fantastic and a great way for creators to see an increase of visibility and cash flow from the videos they make. So I think this will definitely see a lot of adoption by creators and I can see users, people who watch YouTube vibing with it as well. I'd love to see the use case of people watching a short and then going to the longer video. We're going to see a lot of behavior operate that way in the future. So this is great. Yeah, Jordan, how do you interact with YouTube shorts? I don't interact <laughs> with YouTube shorts. No, not in not in particular. It's not it's not my go-to. But when I go on YouTube and like if I do see them, like I'll watch them here and there if it seems like interesting. But I do think that since of course YouTube is a video first platform, it makes sense for them to like incorporate this feature in that way. It could be very beneficial for creators. There are some creators who are really taking advantage of short who have the following and who have the, I feel like, general skill set to really tap into this platform and use it to benefit them. So I think it'll be interesting, of course, seeing how it grows and expands over time. It's like a competition now to see who can get the best video platform. And yeah, it's interesting. Just 
overall. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to where we started, it almost feels like with Instagram going more video focused, feels like they're pushing a rock up a hill. Whereas for YouTube, this feels more like it makes sense because they've been a video first platform the whole time. All right. Well, friends, that is the show. If you don't already, please be sure to follow us, share us, write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, your points of interest or complaints. Or if you have a thing you want us to talk about, send it to podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank Tommy and Jordan for joining us. And thanks to Danielle Hunt, Amanda Fuentes and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios for making us sound great. Thank you, listener. We will see you next week. Amanda will be hosting again. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.